0: september the eighth nineteen eighty seven Dolly goge gets up like every other morning in nineteen eighty seven miss goge was seventy six I do it every time sixty seven years of age she lived on Rittertown road old highway nineteen e in Carter county Tennessee now inside the residence at this time uh miss goge's daughter laverne Ruth goge Harris uh lived with her because she was going through a separation with her Soon to be ex husband Ricky Jerome Harris. Uh, their young daughter Laura lived there, as well as Vina Odom, which was Miss Goge's 91 year old mother. Now, on that morning, September the 8th, it started out like any other morning. Uh, Miss Goge was helping her daughter Laverne get their young daughter Laura ready. Well, she had an accident. So, Miss Goge had to take off her house coat and pajama bottom, put on another lighthouse coat with a pajama top. Now, that's how Laverne knew her mother. That's how she was dressed when Laverne left the home that morning. Laverne and Laura left the home at 7.55 a.m. Laverne was taking Laura to daycare, and then Laverne was going to work. Now, every morning, Helen Hobson, who is Miss Goge's sister, receives a call from Miss from Goge every morning between 8 and 8.30, just giving her an update on the condition of her mother and what's going on. Well, that morning on September the 8th, 1987, she did not receive the phone call. So this truly, truly concerned her. So after phoning Mrs. Goge's home three times, Helen Hobson decides she's going over. So her and her husband head over to Miss Goge's residence, okay? Now when they get there, she noticed that the television and the lights were on and she searched throughout the whole, everywhere in the house, including closets, under beds, everywhere, and could not find Mrs. Goge. Now, she noticed around the flower bed near the door. Miss Hobson noticed an odor which reminded her of a hospital. So it's beginning to get around 9:45 or 9:50 a.m. at this time, and Miss Hobson, she notifies Laverne Harris or Laverne Ruth Goge Harris, which is Miss Goge's daughter, that her mother was missing. So Miss Harris drops everything that she's doing, uh, Laverne, and she goes straight. To her mother's home. She gets there about 10 minutes after 10. Now, she calls the police. She calls her brother. And she attempted to also call her estranged husband, Ricky Jerome Harris, at his place of employment, which was Sherwood Chevrolet Nissan in Johnson City, Tennessee. Now, Laverne also noticed the smell of, a, like, a hospital odor near the door. Now, officers responded to the scene. They found Miss Goji's glasses lying off of the edge of the porch and a blue woman's shoe and Miss Goge's Goji- lower dentures in the flower bed. Now the flowers were also laid over and stepped on as though someone had been wrestling in the flower bed. A hair roller with hair in it was found on the sidewalk. The inside of the house was very neat. Miss Goji's purse was found on the kitchen table along with her Bible, a church record book, and the keys to her car, which was parked outside of her home. Now, police obviously are going to start doing uh, inve- the investigation because they notice here that something is out of the norm. You know, you've got a missing person. A lot of times, obviously, you know, they'll they'll say, well, they're an adult. They may do this, or that. But there was some evidence, obviously, there in the flower bed that caused the uh, investigators to to kind of double think there and go ahead and start the investigation into Miss Goge's disappearance. Now, Ricky Jerome Harris had also arrived at Miss Goges' home. And now he had arrived there just before the police officers had arrived. And of course, they're going to interview everybody that's involved, with the family, the neighbors, things like that. So they start to interview Ricky Harris. And his story is that, yes, I'd stopped by Miss Goge's home around 8 a.m. had knocked on the door to get my jackets and a few other things. I didn't get an answer, so I left. And I decided, as I got a few minutes down the road, he says, to come back to see if I could retrieve my albums. So he says he did not see Miss Goge at all that day. Now, a massive search obviously, was undertaken for Miss Goge. A tracking dog was brought to the home to see if whether or not she had walked away or whether she had left by vehicle. The dog handler testified that, due to the inability of his dog to find a track from her home, that it was his opinion Miss Goge did not walk away, and all efforts to locate Miss Goge proved unsuccessful at that time. Now, the on the day of the disappearance, they got Ricky Harris's statement, and his statement was that he was there that morning, that he was um, just knocking on the door, couldn't get an answer, uh, he was just trying to retrieve some of his things, you know. Obviously, so that puts him at the scene. Around the the same time that this you know the disappearance had taken place because the daughter had left at seven fifty five and you've got Ricky Harris stating that he shows up around eight o'clock, so obviously they're gonna want to look at him a little bit closer as so they should he's basically placed himself at the scene of the crime now they want him to come down make a statement. So on the day of the victim's disappearance, the, uh, Ricky Harris was asked to uh, go to the sheriff's department and make a statement. He declined to make any statement at that time other than his original statement that he gave to police at the uh, residence that morning that he knocked on the door, didn't get an answer left, come back, knocked on the door, didn't get an answer left, and didn't return, went to work. Um, so they ask him to come down. He comes down to the sheriff's department, and when he leaves... The Sheriff's Department, a gentleman by the name of Walter Foster was assigned the duty of following Ricky Harris in plain clothes, driving his personal vehicle. Now, he states that he followed him to the motel where Ricky Harris was living, then to Sherwood Chevrolet, and then to his attorney's office, where Mr. Foster went in and saw, saw Ricky Harris sitting in the waiting room. Now, then Ricky Harris and his attorney came outside opened the trunk of the car, looked in it, and talked. He states, Ricky Harris then left, bought gas, and went to a car wash. He stayed there two or three minutes. However, from his vantage point, Mr. Foster could not determine whether the appellate, which was Ricky Harris, vacuumed the car, Ricky Harris then washed his car, and left. So, we've got some suspicious activity there. Then, Obviously, now investigators are really looking at Ricky Harris. It started by his statement at the home, of basically putting himself there. So they want to look a little closer into, does he have a motive? Did he have the opportunity? Did the means what's going on with this individual? Now, obviously, Ricky Harris was a suspect from the early days of the investigation. Now, as a salesman for Sherwood Chevrolet, he drove a demonstrator automobile belonging to the dealership. Now, three days after Miss Goge's disappearance, Ricky Harris, the employer, Sherwood Chevrolet, made the car available to the police. The trunk was vacuumed and one hair was discovered, which matched the hair on Miss Goge's head. The appellate, which is Ricky Harris, consented to a search of his room that he occupied at a motel. Nothing incriminating was found at the hotel. Only thing they found was was a pair of binoculars. Now, we will see shortly what the binoculars had come into play as the police continue their investigation into Dolly Goge's disappearance. As police start to go and start to investigate, obviously in any investigation, they're going to work their way from the inside out. They're going to find the closest family member and they're going to knock them off their list of suspects, or they're going to keep them on their list. Now, so far, with what they've looked at with Ricky Jerome Harris, there's nothing that they're able to knock. They're not able to knock him off their list. They just, everywhere they turn, his name keeps coming up, or and every question they ask it just raises more suspicion. Now, employees of Sherwood Chevrolet noted that on the day of the victim's disappearance, Ricky Harris was not seen at the dealership at the usual time. He was first seen there between 9.30 or 10 a.m., at which time he seemed flushed and excited and was sweating. Now, the sales manager noted that during that week, he saw scratches on Ricky Harris's forearm and asked if he had been in a fight with a wildcat. The scratches, described as very deep, looked like fingernail marks where, at best, were a day or two old. Ricky Harris said he had scratched himself while cutting bushes at his mother's house that weekend. Now the reason the binoculars were important, as they started to get into the investigation, because between 7:30 and 7:55 on the morning that Miss Googe was uh, reported missing, four witnesses saw a man sitting in a car parked on the opposite side of the four-lane highway from the victim's home, looking in the direction of her home with binoculars. The car was variously described as a new or late model car, silver or light in color, with stickers in the back window on the driver's side. The man in the car was variously described as fairly tall, having kind of broad shoulders, with hair described as brownish-blonde to medium to dark brown. He was described as having a short haircut and maybe a small mustache. He was said to have a medium complexion and was well-dressed, wearing a white long-sleeved shirt with a sport coat lying on the seat. One witness described the man as very professional-looking, and she thought she was seeing an officer in an unmarked car. Now, that same morning, one of the witnesses saw that same exact car around 10 minutes after 8 to 15 minutes after 8 a.m. at a bridge at the Interstate Highway... The driver was the same individual that she had seen before, and no one else was visible in the car at the time. We'll be right back. So now witnesses have placed an individual in a Sherwood Chevrolet new demonstrator car, and I think that's the link no one can say for sure who they saw in the vehicle, they can give a description of the man. That is that describes Ricky Jerome Harris. The fact that it was a demonstrator or a new vehicle from an off the lot of Sherwood Chevrolet, Nissan, that just goes to uh, seal the deal that it was Ricky Jerome Harris in the vehicle. Now, they continue to investigate and they start to, to talk to some of uh Dolly Goge's neighbors. Now Joyce um, Hinkle was the victim's next door neighbor. Now, um she knew Ricky Harris well from having lived in, in uh having lived with Dolly Goge once upon a time. Um, now she states between eight fifteen and nine A. M that uh, she looked out and saw a light-colored automobile with Sherwood Chevrolet stickers on, in the back driver's uh, side window. The car was parked directly in front of, of uh, Miss Goge's driveway, and she saw no one around the car. And she states that when she stepped out on her back porch that she heard Miss Goge's voice give a surprised holler or yell. The sound came from the front entrance of the victim's home. Dolly Goge. She heard nothing else. She saw Ricky Harris coming from the area of Miss Goge's mother's house, walking at a fast pace, clutching something in his hands. He went around to the front entrance of the victim's home, then came back around, and seconds later, he went back around the house, completely out of Miss Hinkle's sight. She states he was wearing dark brown cotton work gloves and was clutching a bottle similar to a bottle in which was is packaged. Now, on his second trip around the house, he actually stepped out directly in Miss Hinkle's face, startling both Miss Hinkle and Ricky Harris. At this time, they spoke, and he went on down the driveway. He got into his car and drove away. Now, a few minutes later, she saw the same car going toward Roan Mountain. Ricky Harris then drove into the victim's driveway at a fast speed. He was not wearing gloves at this time. He then waved to Miss Hinkle and said he was going to Miss Goge's to get his albums. A few minutes later, he came back down the driveway at such a fast pace that she didn't know whether he'd be able to make the turn or not. However, he was able to do so. He then turned on Rittertown Road toward Rome Mountain. When she first saw him at the house, Ricky Harris was dressed in a long-sleeved, light-colored shirt, but when he came down the driveway, he was dressed in a dark-colored polo shirt or T-shirt and wore uh, blue jeans. Now, we have another witness, a neighbor, Miss Stevens. She was walking to Miss Goge's home, carrying some vegetables from her garden for Miss Goge. Now, she saw the car come out of the driveway and proceed toward Road Mountain. Now, She went on up to Miss Goge's house and went through the house and around it twice looking for Miss Goge. She saw that the television set and the lights were on and noted that the flowers were matted down. She saw the shoe in the flower bed. She looked in on Miss Goge's elderly mother, who was eating, but did not bother her. Now, Miss Stevens state that she returned home, and called, called Miss Goge's house several times. She received no answer until Miss Hobson, the victim's sister, had arrived. So we've got a pretty tight timeline here, as far as if. If the flower bed is the origin, and the front area is the origin of the confrontation, and the flowers and the bushes being matted down and trampled on are part of that initial attack, then basically what these witnesses have done is they have made it virtually impossible for anyone else to have had time to come up and to commit this crime. So, police are really, really, really on to Ricky Jerome Harris. Now, the fact that he was there that morning, the fact that witnesses had seen a vehicle across the four lane with binoculars looking in the the direction of the victim's home, you've got the scratches. And the strange behavior that morning at work, you've got the two neighbors that for certain put him at the scene probably directly when it happened, and he it's hard to dispute that because if that, that flower bed and those items found in that flower bed, we're talking from the time that the... Ricky Harris drives fast out of the driveway until the time that the second neighbor reaches her home is seconds. It's seconds. Now, in the meantime of all this going on, you have Miss Hobson, who had been calling and trying to get in contact with her sister for 30, 40 minutes, from 8:30 to 8, you know, to nine o'clock, and then finally she arrives over there sometime around 9:30, 945. And then she calls the victim's daughter, and she arrives home by ten ten. You know, and then we've got the suspect, Ricky Harris, according to the neighbor, is at the home from eight fifteen till nine o'clock. so by the time the second witness drives up, she goes through the home, she searches, she comes back down to her home, she makes a few phone calls she finally gets the victim's sister on the phone, which arrived probably about 9.45. So from 9 o'clock when the suspect leaves to 9.45, you've got the sister on her way over, you've got Miss Stevens going through, looking in the residence, nothing there, no one there. So you've got several witnesses that can place Ricky Harris at the scene, on, or at the exact time of the the uh, the disturbance. So we've got you got Ricky Hod. Rick, let's see, you got Ricky Jerome Harris telling conflicting stories concerning his whereabouts on the morning of September eighth. He told the sales manager when he arrived shortly after ten that he had kept an appointment with his lawyer that morning. However, he had told another uh, co-worker that he was going to meet a man named Jim from Chicago at the Tri-Cities Airport. You know, Jim was supposed to arrive on a private jet bringing large amounts of cash. Uh, Tammy, uh, Miss Tammy, an employee of the Econo Inn in Johnson City, had a conversation with Ricky Harris while he was staying there. They talked of his marital problems noting that uh, she had a book on witchcraft and he wanted to know if there was anything in the book concerning getting rid of someone. She asked if it was his mother-in-law and Ricky Harris shrugged his shoulders and gave no answer. So you've also got Mr. Hodge saw a gray car traveling along the Carr Cemetery Road toward the cemetery between 8:30 and 9 a.m. on the morning of September 8th. So Obviously, not everyone's time is not going to be precise, but you've got it some somewhere in the vicinity of nine o'clock. That he that he sees this gray car, uh, he states he was walking to his computer room. Uh, he was approximately forty feet from the car. Uh, Ten to fifteen minutes later, the car came back down the road. Of course, it was a dead end road. Uh, opposite direction, about 10 mile an hour. At that time, Mr. Hodges States, he was approximately 10 feet from the car. He described the car as new-looking, gray Chevrolet with red pinstripes, a dealer tag, and new car stickers on the left rear window. He looked directly at the driver, who looked directly at him. He described the driver as a white man with brown hair, brown to light brown mustache. He positively identified Ricky Harris as the driver of that vehicle. He also remembered that Mr. Carr passed him within 10 seconds of the time the Gray Chevrolet had passed. So, they're at the sheriff's office. They're getting this information of seeing the, the uh, suspect's car out in this area. So, a detective employed by the Carter County Sheriff's Department test, tested that and, and basically measured the distance from the victim's home in Carter County to the Carr Cemetery in Washington County, and then from Carr Cemetery to Sherwood Chevrolet in Johnson City, from the victim's home to the cemetery, it was approximately 18 miles. From the cemetery to the dealership, it was approximately 8 and 1 half miles. Driving at the speed limit, the total driving time was approximately 41 minutes. 41, 41 minutes worth of drive time. So he is seen leaving the victim's home at nine a m he is seen somewhere the first witness states between eight forty five and nine, but it's one of his his longest drives is going to be from the home to the actual car cemetery. Now, the car cemetery road is a dead end road that ends at the cemetery. The car cemetery road intersects the Watauga Flats Road. Now, uh, Mr. Charles, who lived in the Watauga Flats area of Washington County, was returning from his doctor's office at around 9 a.m. on September the 8th. As he turned off the Watauga Flats Road onto Car Cemetery Road, he met a new gray car with a dealer tag. The driver had a mustache and light brown hair. In the middle of the summer, he had seen the same car in that area twice. On the first occasion, it was moving, and on the other, it was parked at the cemetery. So is he stating that the suspect was familiar with the area? Now, in July of 1987, the victim and Ricky Harris had a confrontation over uh, Ricky's marital problems with the victim's daughter. Miss Goge told Ricky that his gravy train was over and he was no longer welcome there and that she was backing her daughter in the divorce action. She told the appellant to get out and to never come back. His clothes were packed in plastic bags and placed on the front porch. His record albums were in a long box, which was also placed on the front porch. Re, uh, Ricky Harris told his wife several times that Miss Goge was the cause of their marital problems. Now, let's see. You've got the of uh, Ricky Harris test, let's see. Ricky Harris, obviously, they feel that they're really closing in on on Ricky Harris and they've got their man, but they don't have a body. They've got a missing person at this point. They've got a missing person at this point, but on December the 23rd, now... Obviously, let's see, I don't want to jump too far. On November the 6th in 1987, they charged Ricky Jerome Harris with the murder of Dolly Goge. Now, in 1987, having a, at the time of his arrest, there was no body that was found. The body was not found until December the 23rd of 1987. Now, Portions of a skeleton were found on a wooded hillside adjacent to the Carr cemetery in a rural area of Washington County, known as Watauga Flats. A flowered robe identified as the one Miss Goge was wearing that morning. Her upper dentures and hair rollers with hair matching miss Goges were found in the area. The decayed body had been dismembered by animals, and only portion of the skeleton were found. The hair from her scalp was found, as was the mate to the shoe found in the flower bed. It was impossible to determine from the remains how Miss Goge died. Now, it's also stated that Dr. William Bass, professor of anthropology and head of the anthropology department at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville, when this thing went to trial, he testified concerning the identification of the bones, that it was his opinion That from all of the circumstantial evidence, the bones found were the remains of Miss Goge. And it was indeterminate, he could not determine the cause of uh, cause of death. He could not determine how Miss Goge died just because of the condition of the bones. They also they identified the bones as Miss Goges, as with the circumstantial evidence that was with the skeleton itself. So Basically, what he was saying was, "We believe that this is Miss Goge's body because of the shoe, the dentures, the robe, the hair and everything else that was found along with it." So this did go to trial. He was arrested in November, November 6th of 1987. They didn't find the body until December of that year. So having a no-body uh, murder trial would, was, is extremely rare, especially I mean now it is, but especially in 1987. But they felt that all the evidence that they had compiled against Mr. Harris was pretty truth-telling. And the circumstantial, not necessarily circumstantial evidence, but not direct forensic-type evidence is pretty uh, mind-blowing to me in this case. Because what you've got is you've got a story being told. And it's told by many different people. And it's, the only reason that it's able to be told is because of the sheer will of the family in such a quick time, and quick time by law enforcement, to find out what happened to Dolly Goge. So, of so on September the 8th, 1987, the sister, Miss Hobson, really gets the ball rolling, because if it was not for her, And her due diligence of let me see what is going on with my mother slash my sister. And her quick wit to, to get over there. And then to call the daughter, Laverne. And for Laverne to be there as quick as she was and to phone the police. And for the police to be there as quick as they were. And not to brush it away. And to say, oh, she's 67. She can go where she wants. But paying attention enough to see, hey something's not right, and start to question these witnesses, this is what solved this case. Because this timeline is so tight between someone seeing Ricky Jerome Harris leave this house to the neighbor seeing the flower beds and the, the flowers already pushed over is so tight that no one else would have had time to come in there and do it. It is impossible. And that's going to come into play later on in in, in this trial. Because in May of 1988, they find Ricky Jerome Harris guilty. And he is sentenced to life in prison, which in 1988 is 30 years. So, what is going to come up later is that basically the FBI sends letters out stating that it's, its hair analysis type evidence back in the 80s was flawed. And that not only is it flawed, but it's not accurate. So what does that mean for Ricky Jerome Harris? What does that mean? They found one hair in the trunk of the vehicle and said that this was Dolly Goja's hair and that put her in the trunk of his vehicle. We'll be right back. All right. So let's go to the trial. Now, Ricky Harris testified vehemently that he denied that he killed Miss Goge. He admitted that he had a confrontation with her on July the 17th or the 27th, and that that was the date he had separated from his wife. He testified that on the morning of September 8th, he stopped at the Exxon service station across from her house to buy gasoline, and he went to her house to get his jackets. He parked at a pull-off at the entrance of the driveway because Miss Goge had told him not to park on her property, and he acknowledged seeing Miss Hinkle as he walked up the driveway. According to his testimony, he knocked on the door three or four times but did not get an answer. He walked back down the driveway, got in his car, and left. He decided to go back and try to get his record albums, so he turned around and went back to Miss Goge's home. This time he drove up the driveway and again knocked on the door. After getting no answer, he decided to leave without getting any of his possessions. So, now, according to Ricky Harris, he drove directly to Sherwood Chevrolet, where he arrived shortly before 9 a.m. After his arrival, he called the lawyer representing him in his divorce case, Michael O'Connor, to report that he had been to Miss Goge's residence. After his wife called later that morning to report that her mother was missing, he returned to the Goge residence. Now, Ricky Harris admitted that Miss Goge paid ten thousand dollars to settle a civil suit which had been brought against him in eighty five and that she also had paid five thousand dollars to his attorneys. He admitted that he had not paid any of the money back to the to the victim. There is also testimony by Ricky Harris concerning the financial gyrations in which he, his wife, and Miss Goge had been involved. He and his wife had been indicted for signing uh, the name of a corporation not yet in existence, and he entered a plea of no low. Contendry to the charge in exchange that the dismissal of the charges against his wife at the time. Uh, according to his testimony, they had organized other corporations and planned to go to Switzerland to get millions of dollars to invest, a contract to purchase property uh, to $275,000, build his corporate headquarters, borrowed $10,000 um, from a high interest broker uh, for high quality steam coal. Uh, he and his wife agreed to buy a home costing $250,000. He alleged that at the time of the offense, he had just returned from Orlando, Florida, where he had made $10,000 putting together a real estate packet for financing. Uh, prior to that, he had been a drywall finisher and did residential remodeling. So it's been stated by many people that he was rather full of shit. But now, Michael O'Connor, the appellate's attorney in the divorce case, testified that he received a telephone call from the appellate, Ricky Harris, at 9.15 a.m. on September eighth, 1987. He did not tell him where he was calling from, but from the background noise, he knew that the that Ricky Harris was calling from Sherwood Chevrolet. Mr. O'Connor testified regarding the viewing of the trunk at his office on the afternoon of September the 8th. Uh, Ricky Harris told him that the dog had sniffed his car, and Mr. O'Connor suggested that they look in the trunk. Mr. O'Connor and his wife had befriended the appellate in ways far exceeding what he had done for any other client. Now, these are just some of the things that had came up during the trial to defend Ricky Harris. Um, Now, they state that uh, other witnesses had testified regarding a videotape experiment that they had performed on the Carr Cemetery Road with a car being driven past, you know, Mr. Hodges' property, and the purpose was to show the difficulty in identifying anyone in a passer, you know, passing car. Also, in rebuttal, Mr. Jenkins testified to Ricky Harris's poor reputation for truth. Uh, Miss Michelle, who then worked at Sherwood Chevrolet, testified uh, regarding the the Ricky Harris arrival at approximately 10 a.m. on September the 8th. She states that she saw mud on Ricky Harris's pant leg that morning, and the fact that he changed his pants uh, when they went to his motel room to get a road atlas. He also threw away some crumpled papers. A detective was recalled to testify that the foliage was still present at that time, negating the idea that anyone would be looking at the mountains with binoculars. Basically, stating that he wasn't looking at Mrs. Goge's home. So you've got testimony from people that he worked with stating that he had mud on his pants, and he did not arrive until 10 a.m. that morning, and it wasn't around 9, and he didn't call his lawyer at 9.15. Now, to rebut that, Miss Lilly, the attorney for Miss Harris, or Laverne Goge, the daughter of Dolly Goge, Uh, in the divorce case, testified that his office was next door to Mr. O'Connor's office. On the morning of September 8th, Mr. O'Connor came over to his office between 10.15 and 10.30 to tell him that he had just talked to the appellate, Ricky Harris, on the phone. He stated that Mr. Lilly's for quite a long time. Later that afternoon, Mr. Lilly saw a notepad on Mr. O'Connor's secretary's desk which indicated that the appellate had called at 10.15 a.m. rather than 9.15 as Mr. Connor testified. Now, Mr. Connor's secretary testified also that the appellate called before nine thirty and that she makes no notations of calls of when Mr. Connor is present in the office, and she did not remember Mr. O'Connor going to Mr. Lilly's office for an extended visit that morning. So there you've got the arguments of between the lawyers. The Ricky Harris's attorney states that he talked to him at nine fifteen. The other attorney, which is next door, states that there's no way he talked to him at 9.15. It was 10.15. And also testifying was the the witness from Sherwood Chevrolet stating that he was there at 10 o'clock and not 9 o'clock. So it's all going to come down to who you believe. But here's the thing. You take all this testimony out. But I know it's important because how could he have time to, to, to kill him? And, You know, hurt someone, get them, get them in the trunk, drive away, 41-minute drive, 941, you're at work. By 9 o'clock, that doesn't work. So you look at the timeline, and you got to lay it out that you've got the neighbor that sees him with her own eyes and knows exactly who he is, leaving at around the same time she's walking up, and notices all the disturbance in front of the house. she hears the victim scream, so in reality that is the last person to see or hear mrs Dolly goge is her neighbor so the evidence is overwhelming to me the 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 eyewitness testimony and what seals it to for for me now it's not I didn't want to do this case to whether I say innocent, guilty. I just wanted to present some of the facts of the case as I've seen it. But this timeline is hard to to rebuke. And you can't rebuke it because, you know, many, many years later, when that hair testimony comes into play, it's all the other evidence that's going to keep him in prison because basically the judge states okay yes fbi states that their dna their hair analysis in the 80s were flawed okay take the whole hair out of the situation and let's look at the circumstantial evidence which was overwhelming that one bit of evidence is not enough to overturn this case and mr harris ricky harris has Filed motion after motion after motion. He he's even filed a motion after his. So he's been up for parole twice, and in two thousand fourteen he he went up for parole and admitted to guilt, admitted to killing Miss Goge, and then one or two years later had filed an appeal to have a new trial. So I'm not going to sit here and say guilt or innocence. I just want to. I thought this case was very very interesting. It, it is to say the least. You know, it's uh, I'd never, I'd never heard of it, and I just wanted to tell the story, basically, because I think the the victims' family have gone through a lot with every year, you know, every two years or whatever parole is, and I'm not, I'm not here to to say parole or not parole, but what I am saying is it is, you know, it's something they live with all the time. It's not, you know, they've lost a, a love, a loved one, a family member. And it's something they deal with every day. Uh, so I'm sure the, the the convicted has family, and I, I'm I'm, I'm sure, certain that they're hurting as well. So there's a lot more, you know, that uh, this pain that goes around to victims, to victims' families, to even the guilty and the the guilty's family. You know, there's so I don't want to. I'm not trying to pick sides. I just want to tell the case and from what I, information that I know. And, uh, I just think it's a a story that, uh, is worth people hearing and you can make your own determination on what you think as far as guilt or innocence or whatever that may be. But we have victims families. Uh, we want to be very, very, uh, aware of their feelings and, um, We just really want to tell the story. We don't want to, we're not trying to do anything other than just shed a little bit of light on the story itself. So, that being said, there was, in my opinion, a great deal of evidence to say that they have the right man. The hair evidence to me, not so much. I'm not really concerned about the hair, whether. The hair come off a box, a bag, or it came off of a roll, whatever it may be. To me, that's not the evidence that is hard you can't shake it. To me, the fact of these eyewitness test this eyewitness testimony from these neighbors are so tight of a timeline that there's just no way for anyone else to get in here and do this crime other than Ricky Jerome Harris. Now. I think the fact that the family, the sister, Miss Hobson, was so quick to be on top of this, had any amount of time passed before they knew that their sister was gone, Miss Miss Goge, then maybe there's a different outcome because that gives the suspect a little bit more leeway as far as his timeline. You give any amount of time from the time that he's seen at the residence to the time that someone notices she's gone, then you've got time for someone else to come in there. You've got time for other things to happen. But you keep it as tight as you did with it being just a matter of seconds of that the second neighbor walks up and sees the flower bed in the in the way that it is and and knowing that it wasn't like that before and knowing that the first neighbor heard a scream just moments before, then you, you tighten that timeline down so tight that you make it impossible for anyone else to come in and to commit that crime. So, the family being on top of it and law enforcement being on top of it as quick as they were and were able to tighten this timeline down so much that there was no other possible way for anyone else to get in there and do anything to Miss Goge is what solved this case. So... That's just my opinion. So You can take the hair evidence and you can throw it out. It doesn't even matter. And I think that's basically what the judge was saying. So, I believe Ricky Jerome Harris is coming up for parole again this year. So Google it. There's different things on the, the internet that you can look up on this case. If you feel free to sign certain petitions, you can. If you Like I said, I'm I'm not here to say yay or nay on, on parole. It's not my it's not my thing. I just want to shine some light on the case itself and I hope that we've done that. And this is the weekly podcast.